Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Today we have something a little bit uh, different. It's uh, just myself, Mark Daly, and Mark Hamilton has the night off. But uh, as I said, we're going to try and take a a different look at Formula One tonight. And among other things, we're going to learn a little bit more about Oscar Piastri and Daniel Ricciardo, who we know quite a bit about already. But they're the two current or the two Australian drivers that are currently on the, the F1 grid. And in addition, we'll talk more in detail about the Formula One goings on down under. So joining us today to share his expertise once again is Melbourne-based FIA-accredited journalist Stuart Bell. It's been quite a while since we've had a chance to sit down and chat with Stu, but he's been a busy fellow producing The Inside Line, which is a global TV show featuring the latest F1 news, race coverage, features, and analysis. In addition, Stuart has also written for media outlets including news.com.au, Motorsport Magazine, GP Racing, and many others. He can give Stu a follow at Stuart Bell F1 on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it this week. And that's Stuart spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T Bell F1. And you can also head on over to unbeaten.com slash Formula One to see where you can watch the inside line in your part of the world. Stuart, welcome back to Scuderia F1. How are you? Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I'm very well. Uh, Melbourne's having a mild winter and uh, yeah, just enjoying, uh, you know, covering the sport as as per usual from, from, uh, from down under. Well, that's great. You know, I've always thought that Melbourne has a very pleasant climate. And you know, what is a mild winter's day like in Melbourne? Because, you know, you don't look like you're overly dressed. I know you're probably sitting somewhere nice and warm, but uh, what is a typical winter's day like in Melbourne this year? I mean, it's about twelve to fifteen degrees uh, Celsius, so that's that's probably our average uh, coldest winter daily temperature. Uh, but there's been very little rainfall, which has been great. So it's been you know it's been a little bit cold at night, but uh, down to you know in the single digits. But it, it's very bearable. You know, much much easier than going to, for example, Canada or uh, or <laughs> London or something like that. Where you get exactly. a lot more, more snow and, and ice, uh, so yeah, it's very bearable. So, but we're looking forward to a, a long, hot summer, hopefully. Yeah, well, we're right in the middle of ours, and uh, you know what I hear are like twelve to fifteen degrees. I know that's not too far off as we sort of transition out of summer and go back into fall. And before we know it, it'll be rainy and miserable, and you know our climate here on the west coast uh, doing what it does uh, best. But it's great to see and talk to you again. And uh, we've had a very interesting Formula One season to date. We're halfway. You know, I was, I was going to say we're we're at the summer break, but I find it a little bit kind of strange to say that when I'm talking to someone sitting in Melbourne, Australia. Really, at the moment, it's we should just call it the mid-season break for, for for people around the globe. But we've had twelve races uh, to date. It's it's been Max Verstappen, it's been Red Bull. We've uh, we, we've seen some flashes potentially of uh, some of the other teams maybe might potentially be able to do something, and then Max and Red Bull come back the next weekend and just keep winning as they've done uh, all season long. But you know, as I said, we've got a dozen races under our belts uh, now and. And, and, and Stu, what stood out for you in the first half of the World Championship this year so far? I mean, I think you can't go past uh, Max Verstappen's uh, railroading. I mean, you know, for Red Bull to win 12 of the, the first 12 races, 13 straight, which is obviously a record back to Abu Dhabi last year. Uh, I mean, we can talk endlessly about that. But the surprise really is McLaren, uh, their performance since they introduced their B-spec upgrade from Austria uh, and Aston Martin in the earlier part of the year, obviously watching uh, Alonso's uh, podium pace that sort of dropped off since their their Canada upgrades. 
uh, but they're hoping to, to, to patch that up for, for Zandvoort. Uh, obviously, the disappointment of Ferrari and, and, uh, and Mercedes uh, still, still struggling to, to get that front-running pace uh, consistently uh, and, you know, no closer to a win for either of those. Uh, and obviously the big story other than that has been the, the implosion of Alpine, which has been, you know, an unbelievably huge story and shocking and, and uh, really, you know, um, following that as they seek to rebuild the team. That's that's the, the, the really, you know, exciting story to see what, what happens next there. But I would say, yeah, Red Bull's domination has been breathtaking and as has been McLaren's uh, resurgence, you know, coming back from, you know, uh, missed preseason targets and, you know, an expectation of pain to, you know, uh, not quite challenging Red Bull for, for wins, but at least, I mean, even to see Lando Norris uh, in the lead uh, at the British Grand Prix uh, and also Piastri leading the sprint race in, uh, in Belgium. I mean, uh, a very, very impressive comeback from them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you go back to the first couple of races of the season, and and I thought to myself at the time, as I'm sure many people did, and uh, I remember saying to uh, Mark, my co-host, and thinking, if this is the best that McLaren can offer up this season, it's going to be a very, very long year at the McLaren Technology Center. But, uh, you know, th- those upgrades, like you said uh, just now, that they introduced at the Austrian Grand Prix has really leapfrogged them from where they were to, you know, almost basically the best of the rest. And what we We've seen from them in the past several races and some of those highlights that, that you mentioned for, from Lando and Oscar have been uh, really uh, exciting to watch. And, it, and it's interesting too, not are they only resurgent, but uh, I've also been thinking a lot about McLaren recently because as uh, we, we've seen, it, it's been all Red Bull, it's been all Max uh, so far this season. And I keep going back to the 1988 World Championship when McLaren were dominant. They had the Honda power units too. It was Senna and Prost. And it looked like they were on for like the the undefeated season until they had that famous coming together, the chicane at Suzuka at the Japanese Grand Prix. And, and I feel that that history is to a certain degree repeating itself. And 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 I always like to say to to people that are new to Formula One, before we had Nico and Lewis, we had Ayrton and Alan Prost, who were the ultimate toxic teammates that didn't get uh, didn't uh, get along one, uh, you know, with, with one another. And they had that famous coming together at uh, um, at uh, Japan, at the Japanese Grand Prix that year, and I, I just don't see that happening between Max and and, and Sergio Perez. But at, at the same time, I don't see anybody stepping up and, and be able to to beat them flat out uh, on the track. We, we've seen there's been a bit of adverse weather here and there, and and, and Red Bull just kind of continues to steamroll on and, and and win weekend week out. And that's why I thought it was very interesting when Lewis took that single point at the, uh, the the Belgian Grand, uh, Grand Prix. To me, it was almost a, a statement of defiance. And, and Lewis was saying, okay, Max, okay, Christian, okay, Red Bull, this single point, this is for the rest of us. <laughs> you know, you've been so dominant this weekend and all season. We're taking one point and we're going to share it. You know, it's, it's a moral victory. But, uh, you know, all joking aside, what, what Max and what Red Bull are, are, are doing is, is absolutely incredible. It, it doesn't happen by accident. And it just to, to have all these different variables come together and, you know, building basically the perfect car with the perfect power unit. You've got a once in a generation talent like Max Verstappen. It's just like when things are going good, I mean, (laughs) they're really, really are going good. But I I want to transition now and just uh, you you mentioned the implosion of Alpine and, and that whole saga. And that brings me into the discussion. I wanted to talk about uh, Oscar Piastri first, the 22 year old Australian driver, first year in Formula One, 12 races under his belts, last couple of races. He's really looked uh, very good, but his his career in Formula One began with a bit of an odd, it was a bit of a strange incident last year when uh, Alpine announced that uh, they had signed the youngster to come and drive for them in 2023. And Oscar was very quick to take to social media and, and rebuke them and say, no, this there, there's nothing to this. Are you able to provide us with a little bit more insight uh, on that story? Because that was a very peculiar you know, situation. Even for Formula One, we've seen plenty of strange things when it comes to drivers and contracts. So over the years, well, I mean, Piastri simply didn't have a watertight contract, and uh, 
you know they they've done the the sort of a pre-contract with uh, you know the the you know the headers and and whatnot. Uh, I think it, yeah, it's just, just a basic contract, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know watertight. And uh, Alpine was sort of playing with you know both Fernando Alonso and Oscar Piastri's futures. They weren't offering. They they were trying to make a transition. Uh, towards the future of the team, towards Piastri. So they were, you know, playing with with Alonso, who wanted a two-year contract. They were only happy to give him a one-year contract. So that allowed him to sort of start speaking with with Aston Martin. And then Piastri is managed by Mark Webber. uh, And, you know, at the time, I mean, it was... you know, it, it didn't look like a, a you know a, a huge boost in in competitiveness to, to move to McLaren, but um, you know they they you know uh, made their their case. They moved across, and and um, it's all really because of uh, the you know the the legal uh, negligence of, of Alpine that he was able to walk walk free. But it was it was very shocking that that um, that we saw that tweet from him saying I I won't be. Uh, racing for Alpine next year, but you know that's that's what you need to do. You, F1 is a brutal sport, and you've got to be you've got to look after yourself first. And uh, obviously, you know um, they can see potentially ructions behind the scenes. You know we've seen Alain Prost uh, criticizing former CEO Laurent Rossi. Potentially there was politics playing playing behind the scenes that only Piastri and Potentially Weber and and Alonso could see that they didn't like potentially, uh, but you know it seems to have worked out. Even though, as we went into this year, it didn't look like uh, Piastri had making it made the right move because it looked like Alpine was going to sort of leave that midfield and uh, and McLaren was going to be down the back. So, but how you know six months, everything's everything's shifted and changed. I, I guess at least from that point of view that uh, or that situation was that what maybe where there were question marks around McLaren was that that at least when it came to off the track and the team and the structure under Zach Brown was more st- you know stable that 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 was the feeling the the impression that I got whereas Alpine that always seems like there's something bubbling underneath the surface and, and uh, I, I can't think of anybody better to understand politics and things like that than a fellow like Mark Weber obviously had a fairly long career in Formula One I mean you know I, I mean if you're you're a young driver like Oscar Piastri I think that uh, to have somebody like Mark Weber your corner as your manager would be a very good uh, person to be able to to lend some insight to, to these sort of sorts of uh, it, you know situations, but it's it was interesting because not only did we have that whole the shenanigans, let's call them with uh, with Alpine and the fact that they also lost Fernando and then eventually I guess they kind of settled for their third choice. Unfortunately, uh, you know that's how it appears to pour you know to the rest of us. So when it comes to Pierre Gasly, but then you have this very interesting Australian triangle and musical chairs at McLaren, where you have you have Oscar Piastri, that this hot young prospect, this hot young talent trying to break into the sport. You have thirty, well then thirty three year old Daniel Ricardo, who's been struggling for a couple of years since leaving Red Bull and then you have Mark Webber behind the scenes kind of trying to look out for the best interest of his own driver in, uh, in Oscar Piastri so th- I-, I always found that a very interesting dynamic because motor racing is a small world and these guys all have to know each other and they probably know each other quite well so it, uh, yeah. it I just found a very interesting dynamic how that played out well, it's just inept in terms of Alpine's management of it. I mean, <clears throat> to for them to not have their their young gun locked down. Laurent Rossi was even speaking, you know, when he first came in about you know the promise of Piastri and how he was the future of the team. And fancy not locking down your 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 future, you know, to not have the paperwork in place. These are you know F1 moves very quickly and and uh, you know. It doesn't, you know, they, they're obviously wanting to hold on to Alonso and then obviously both of them walked straight through the door, you know. And uh, so, you know, it's sort of they umdenied over, over what they were going to do in terms of turfing Alonso or running Piastri. And then, you know, they expected that, you know, once Alonso walked out the door, they could just, you know, turn that paperwork around and put Piastri in the car. But you know, it doesn't work like that. You need to have everything locked down. They've since obviously signed a new legal team uh, for for Alpine, but you know they've learnt they've, they've 
hopefully they've learned their lesson. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, all's fair in love and war in Formula One, and, and it's a brutal sport. And, you know, yeah, I mean, the other thing is that, that uh, Piastri said that, you know, McLaren wanted him. They wanted him. They they pushed for him. And, and obviously that's different to, you know, Alpine, which armed it out over the whether they're going to put, put him in the car. McLaren said, we want you in our car. And um, and they they saw the, the opportunity. Weber saw the opportunity, and you know that's what's happened. Even though Daniel Ricciardo was the the, the fellow that ultimately lost out uh, to his uh, fellow countryman at uh, at McLaren, you know there there sure. was that 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 seat ultimately at uh, at Alpine, which had previously been, been been Danny's. Was it ever feasible or likely, or would Daniel have even wanted to go back there? I know that it was a bit of. Um, it didn't really work out maybe as perhaps they hoped. I know that uh, towards the end of his time there, he scored a couple of podiums. I don't know if he ever uh, got the tattoo that uh, that he was going to do with, uh, <laughs> with uh, you know, forgetting that podium at the the, the Nuremberg of the bet that uh, that he had. But anyways, uh, was there any likelihood that he ever would have uh, gone back or when that opportunity at Red Bull, even a reserve role, is like, that's probably a better place to be than this very unstable environment like Alpine? I think Ricardo. I mean, I'm sure they looked at all their options, but uh, from what I understand, the the Alpine were were still had egg on their face from him jumping ship ship too early to go to McLaren. So I don't think it was ever an option for him to go there. I'm sure that his team, uh, Blake, his manager, would have would have looked at that, but um, ultimately it just wasn't an option for him. And yeah, he was he was a sitting duck at McLaren. He, he really, when I spoke to him during the McLaren years, he was very pressured. He, I mean, obviously he was he was you know drowning against Lando. The the McLaren's a very idiosyncratic car to drive, you know, unpredictable from corner to corner. And he was trying to bring it to his his way. And and um, obviously the the lack of front end grip and the change to the lower profile tyres didn't give him the confidence he wanted. But you know he he really it was incredible just seeing him go from this happy go lucky focused highly motivated individual to someone who when I spoke to him it was just like if I just work harder or smarter or I can figure this out and it was just a very sort of I wouldn't say scared but it was a very sort of he just was like I can do this it was just a very sort of you know uh very caged uh spirit Mm. about him and it was it wasn't it wasn't the the old Daniel Ricciardo that that I you know that I've covered his career right from you know, the moment he pretty pretty much stepped into the into the test drive seat at Toro Rosso, you know, and and um, he's always been you know, ha- happy to have a joke, but very focused and very motivated. And it was tough seeing him him at, uh, at McLaren looking like he just couldn't he just couldn't get it. He couldn't he couldn't crack the McLaren, and that was uh, that was hard to see. Yeah, definitely, and and I think uh, sitting duck the way you described it is probably the best way to to describe the situation because it felt like it was a departure that was happening in in slow motion, and uh, but when it came down to it, what do you think it was that Zach Brown and McLaren found more attractive in bringing Oscar Piastri in, unfortunately at at, uh, at Danny's expense? I mean, Dan was just too far behind Lando. Uh, so he's, you know, it's it's like seeing Sergio at uh, at Red Bull, you know, just too far behind doing all the fight back drives from Monaco to to Budapest, and really only has come good at, at Belgium. You know, Sergio should be second every race. There should be no doubt about that. And uh, and uh, Ricardo needs to be behind Lando, um, you know. Or in front, ideally, uh, at every race, and so McLaren will always, you know, well, as long as he continues to underperform, we're we're forced in the end to pull the plug. Piastri was a lucky a lucky get; he was on the market. You know, I mean, it could have easily have been, you know, another driver, you know, going into that seat. Um, but you know, the the everything came together. Piastri was on the market. Ricardo was it was was heading out the door. And so it was really the perfect storm for them. 
I've, I've got another question here, and this uh, might be putting you a little bit on the spot, considering that uh, that that Oscar only has twelve uh, Grand Prix to his uh, credit. But I mean, we've seen over the decades the quality some some exceptional drivers come out of Australia and race in Formula, like Jack Brabham and Alan Jones, four world championships between the two of them, and Mark Webber and uh, Daniel Ricciardo in recent times. But uh, you know, you know, coming from that lineage, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on a young fellow like uh, Oscar Piastri, and over the past several races we've seen some very very good things based on his um his pedigree and his experience what do you think where, where do you think we can go with uh, with, with piastri like i say I, i'm putting you on the spot a little bit but for for many people i mean he is uh, you know still 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 a driver we're getting to know and you know for for some people don't really know his background all that well and where he's come from and where he could pot- uh, potentially go in the future I mean, I think the the standout thing about Oscar is his mental strength and toughness, and that's certainly, I'm sure, been worked on by by uh, Mark Webber and Ann Neal, his uh, his partner, both of them behind the scenes, uh, you know, uh, polishing uh, his performance. He's a very serious young man. I mean, obviously, three straight junior titles, uh, heading into Formula One. He's very serious. He's very focused on what he's doing. I mean, if you look at the, st- the pure stats of the first 12 races, I mean, he was 2-10 to 10 in qualifying uh, to, to Lando. But, you know, that, so that sounds, you know, not that impressive, but he was behind Lando five times. So that's the sort of performance that you would expect from, from, uh, from Piastri. And, I mean, in his second race in Saudi Arabia, he got through to Q3. Lando hit what was in the wall, you know, uh, in Q1. And uh, it's, you know, three to seven in the races to to Lando's advantage and, you know, 34 to 69 in points. So, but I think it's the fact that he's been able to stay with him. Uh, For example, in, um, at the British Grand Prix, you know, stay, stay third, obviously the, the safety car uh, worked, didn't work in his favor there. And so he missed out on the podium, but, you know, in Hungary, you know, he was, he was, I think he was he was second from from fourth on the grid into turn one. Uh, obviously, he, he led the sprint for for a short period in Belgium. Not so lucky in the race uh, where he was out at La Source. But you know he's mentally strong. He's got the racing pedigree. He's hanging with Lando. He's building that credibility and he's racing strongly. You know he's he's racing with his head. And he's not making silly mistakes. They're the things that the mark at a champion is. It just resilience and um and you know going for the opportunities when they're presented to him and that's exactly what he's doing so how far can he go who knows you know but you would say based on what you've seen so far that he's arrived in the sport is he capable of winning races he certainly won them in the past and you know he's he's been in, in at the front of the field so all he needs to do now is is to have an opportunity to to you know hit that checkered flag and uh, and he'll do that but uh, there's definitely no doubt that he's he's got a race winning potential and he has won championships in the past he just needs the car now and mclaren you know we'll see what happens in terms of challenging red bull next year because that's really where the focus is which team can take the fight to red bull not this year but next year that that's right, and I mean, what an impressive, what a driver lineup the McLaren have with Lando and Oscar, and the the fact that uh, I think it's very tantalizing to kind of uh, you know fantasize a little bit is like, what if these guys are given a, a good, reliable, fast car? Because uh, I mean, Lando's a, a proven quantity now in Formula One, and uh, I, th- I think that we've all been impressed by what uh, Oscar has done, uh, you know, through the first uh, twelve races of his career. And I was, I was funny too when you were just saying that uh, you know how focused he is when i listen to him and i watch him i'm like wow he's miles ahead of where i was when i was 22 i mean he's very, <laughs> very <laughs> impressive very focused and very professional uh, uh fellow it was i want to just uh, jump here we're going to take a quick break i want to pivot when we come back i want to go back and, and talk about uh, daniel ricardo who unexpectedly uh, has found himself back in the cockpit of a formula one car at uh, alpha towery we'll talk about uh, daniel and a whole bunch more and we'll do that in just a moment so please uh, stay with us as we take a short break for a message from our sponsor passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance 
superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, everybody, welcome back. Mark Daly here. I'm joined uh, today once again from Melbourne-based Formula One journalist Stuart Bell. We've been talking about, well, a lot of... um all things uh, Formula One related to, to Australia. We were just talking about uh, Oscar Piastri, a little bit of da- Danny Ricardo. I want to go back and talk about uh, Daniel Ricardo because he's uh, at the last couple of races. He's found himself back in the uh, in the cockpit of a Formula One car. But uh, maybe before we we talk about the last couple of weeks, last couple of uh, races here, that was kind of an interesting situation that uh, that he found himself in when the music stopped playing at the end of. Uh, last uh, year's silly season he didn't have a drive for 2023 but he finds himself uh, going back to Red Bull as a reserve driver role and I couldn't help thinking at the time that yeah I'm, I'm disappointed not to see Daniel in a Formula One car but all things considered over the past uh, several seasons I felt like this was a good fit and a good place for, for, for Daniel to land what was some of the things going on behind the scenes that uh, that you're aware of that uh, sort of helped facilitate that uh, that reunion? Because to me, it just seems when I think about Danny Ricardo, when I see him in the, the colors of Renault or Alpine or McLaren, it just I, I can't always reconcile that. I'm just used to seeing Danny in in the uh, in, in the colors of uh, Red Bull. So to see Dan back at Red Bull to me seemed it seemed like a good place for him to go back to. Yeah, it seems like a very good fit. I mean, I remember, you know, when he wanted to leave Red Bull at the end of 2018, it seemed, you know, like a a risky move. But obviously Max was growing. But I also think, you know, the Honda engine at that that point, which was going to be going in the car, wasn't proven at that stage. It had only been with the McLaren, which was a a nightmare. Uh, And obviously we've seen what happened to Dan since. Um, But, I mean, Christian Horner, the team boss, has come out and said that, they had a chat in Mexico last year when uh, it was you know, known that uh, Dan was going to be leaving McLaren and he was a broken individual, which I can understand having said to you just before that really he was, he was just so pressured and the love had gone out of the sport for him. I mean, it just re- he really, he, he was just so, it, it just, he couldn't work out why he, he couldn't get to grips with this car and he just, it was he was like stuck in a in a rut, you know, trying kept trying to 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 find a way to crack that McLaren, but ultimately couldn't. And so that's why Christian said, you know, he was broken because he he would really to that point he'd always been able to to find the success in the sport. Um, uh, so yeah, he was he was burnt out, and you know at the time it seemed a bit crazy not to go for the Haas drive. You know, it would have been a you know, a Ferrari-powered car, Gunter Steiner, uh, you know, is is very sort of uh, direct and, and um, the team is, is small and would be able to sort of, you know, uh, give him a bit of a reset. But, you know, I sat down with him at Albert Park earlier this year and having s- seen what I saw at McLaren, he was completely changed. He was the old Dan. And I – and he, he had a real healthy mentality about, about, about you know – he he was he was happy to be back. He had some time out of the sport. He, you know, he was he was far 
less obsessed by being in an F1 car. I think that was, you know, he, he basically followed the sport minute by minute throughout his career since, you know, even even from sort of early days of Formula BMW, you know, it's a, it's a you know, building that momentum, is it takes all of your energy. And so he'd had some time out to, you know, refine himself. When he went, when he got off of that, that third driver role at McLaren, he did some simulator work. That felt good to him. He was immediately, he, he said to me that he, he had one of the greatest days of his lives, uh, of his life in the, in, the, uh, in the simulator with Red Bull, back with Simon Rennie, his old engineer. And I, the question I asked him was, is, is, is this top team energy that really is the refreshing thing in all of this, that you can feel the link with the front? And he said, "Yes, absolutely. That's 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 exactly what it is. So you can feel when you're in a win- at a winning team, there is a different energy to to being. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be Formula One, but you know when there's a real, there's a vibrant, killer energy that that, that comes with you know being in a winning team. And uh, yeah, I think he he said, you know, very different to McLaren and, and Renault before before and." Um, I think being realigned with that winning spirit at Red Bull has been very good for him. Obviously, Nick DeVries was struggling uh, at, at AlphaTauri. The opportunity came, and uh, Dan, you know, he was always looking forward to that Silverstone test as a chance to, to get, get some time in the RB19. And that was the sort of, that was the, um, the clincher. So, you know. I think he obviously he was before that he was always talking about wanting a top team drive or nothing else, but he, he recognizes that this is the chance to to nab Sergio's seat if um, if if it's possible if they're going to 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 drop him eventually whether it's next year or the, or twenty five. Yeah, and that really is a $64,000 question, right? Is what is going to happen to Sergio Perez? Because as as so many people have uh, mentioned it, and you mentioned a little bit earlier too, that every race it should be a one-two for Red Bull because they just uh, the, the car is just that good. It should be very much that uh, like we saw with Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, for example. Maybe not like we saw with, uh, because Nico was too close to Lewis and at times we, you know, I think they wanted to get away from that and and kind of have that uh, and I I know that um, that comment that Toto made one time that that Valtteri was the perfect wingman and he kind of backed away from that it was like he said the quiet part out loud but they really had the ideal situation so you can understand why there would be concern and frustration within the Red Bull organization that they have the car to do it and then it's just going you know it's, it's whatever is between you know Sergio's years what's going on in his head because I think he hit a real uh, low point when he had the, uh, the the shunt at Monaco and then you know the the cars hoisted off the track and then you know there, there was a lot was said about the fact that you know the photographers were right there to snap all those pictures so they you know that that could be you know the, the secrets could be maybe picked apart by the uh, you know you know up and down the grid but he struggled a little bit and then we've kind of seen a little bit of um I wouldn't say a resurgence but I I feel that he's kind of found maybe a little bit of the equilibrium, but when it comes to Red Bull themselves, they have no, you know, obviously no reservations about pulling the plug. I mean, Max himself benefited of a uh, by a midseason change back in 2016, and of course went out to win his very first race at Spain, albeit because you know Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg cancelled each other out on the first lap. But you know, it's it is a team that is not afraid. To make change when they in 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 midstream when they feel like that that uh, is 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 necessary, and I just can't help but wonder that you know what are I guess only Dan will know this himself, but I I, I can't help but wondering what his expectations or you know his thoughts might be when it comes to Red Bull himself, other than I'm just going to turn up and do the best I can. And whatever happens with Sergio is beyond my control. And I just have to be the best Daniel Ricardo that I can be. And we'll see what happens from there. I think the, the second half of the season will be very telling. I mean, Sergio was essentially back to his old form in Belgium, but that's the race. That's one race. Uh, mm-hmm. Between that, it was you know six straight fight back drives, you know. So, for Sergio has to come back and really be you know second at the you know the last ten races, and 
uh, or you know, and we'll see what happens with Dan. Uh, but uh, you know, Yuki Tsunoda is all, already feeling the pressure. You know, I mean, Dan was you know thirteenth and sixteenth in in Hungary and, and Belgium respectively, but uh, and Yuki has has been the sole point scorer there. But you know, he is feeling the pressure from Dan's uh, being being in the car. But really, that will be the major storyline: is how does Sergio Fair is you know as as being a, a you know the the rear gunner for for Max Verstappen, and how is Dan's comeback going? So the relative performances of each of those will determine what happens in 2024. But you're right, Red Bull, you know, has you know the 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 past in in making replacements, and it certainly has the money to make the replacements. So um, yeah, it's up to both of them to perform in the second half of the year, or changes will happen, especially yeah, with AlphaTauri making making huge changes next year. Um, you yeah. Know, that is a real wholesale change with all the management, rebrand, what have you. So, yeah, it's the last 10 – it's a 10-race it's a shootout for that uh, – to see what happens for Red Bull and AlphaTauri. Yeah, it is very fascinating because, uh, you know, the, the, the way Alpha Tower is and Toro Rosso before that was always like this junior, this B team, this development team for Red Bull within Formula One. And, and some people love it, some people hate it, and some people, you know, are just say, well, it doesn't really bother me either way. But it was interesting, too, because after last year, you know, you have uh, Gasly going over to Alpine and DeFries comes in and, you know, he's you know he's a little bit older than Yuki, who's in his you know early 20s. Nick was what about, I guess he's what, 28 or thereabouts and then they pull the plug on him halfway through the season replace him with Dan who's 34 and you know I just uh, and you touched on nicely there about this whole rebrand because I've had so many questions about like what is the purpose of this team what is the identity of this team like what what are they there for but you know I mean you can kind of take 24 and beyond kind of separately but it is certainly going to be very very fascinating to watch what Daniel does in the last uh, half of the season to uh, what uh, what Sergio does in the last half of the season and um, you know I, I, I keep coming I keep having these circular discussions in my mind and with uh, with other people about the whole Daniel Ricardo at Alpha Tauri the, the the situation with Sergio at, at Red Bull it's like well Ricardo can go back to Red Bull or can he? And then it's, it's just like, it's like the pros and cons side of the sheet also kind of seem to line up and cancel each other out. And it's just like, I find it one of the, the really interesting little thread sidebars on the, the, the season as itself, you know, in itself. I mean, Max is going to continue to, um, to, to get the, the, the headlines as he should with, uh, you know, the phenomenal, you know, pace and uh, you know, everything that he's doing we were marka dug up a, a stat for the show last week that there's still 14 records max could potentially break by the end of the season <laughs> i mean it's been a record-breaking season so far i mean he could literally rewrite the the, the history book by the end of the year but kind of mm. being lost a little bit is this this other discussion to a certain extent, uh, and I know that uh, that Sergio will have like um, a lot of focus uh, put on him, but it'll uh, be uh, really interesting to see where they where 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 they go. And what do you think uh, Dan's like own expectations are? Where, where do you think he's at um, in his own headspace and potentially where you know what could happen for for next season? I mean, I think he's just taking it race by race. I think that was <clears throat> the the focus that he that he brought. He's you're not seeing him joke. He's not doing a lot of press at the moment. He's focused on just delivering race by race. Uh, you know, I mean, they could have left Nick DeVries in the car for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, the, the issue is that car, the, the AT-04, is, is, is arguably the worst of the field. You know, it's got, uh, you know, um, corner entry instability, uh, mid-corner understeer. It's a difficult car to drive. And, um, and so, really, it was a bit unfair to leave uh, you know, to jettison DeVries, uh, you know, especially against Yuki, who'd been in the car for the past three years. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, putting putting Dan in the car uh, gives an immediate benchmark 
for the car. Uh, you know, it gives some some different, more experienced feedback as to how that car is handling. The, you know, his thoughts on that. It gives Yuki uh, like a veteran, uh, you know, very established, quick, um, you know, teammate, and it also puts pressure on Sergio. So it's it was a strategic move for them, but you know, it's uh, that's the Red Bull way. They don't they don't do things by halves. No, and and we kind of joke on our show regularly that just by the way that Red Bull is, they take up a disproportionate amount of real estate when it comes to the amount of airtime that they get on our program. And it's just that so many of the storylines in in Formula One, the ones that have been uh, noteworthy over the past. I don't know, say 18 or 24 months, a lot of them have involved Red Bull to uh, one degree or another. And I mean, the, the, the Ferrari saga, the, their, you know, sort of chronic underperforming, you know, that, that's not as exciting to talk about. I mean, it's, we've all sort of, you know, come to, I, th- I think, um, a certain place when it comes to Ferrari. But uh, when you see Red Bull and, and, and what they've done, and, and it was interesting too, like, uh, like you were saying, when, when Dan left uh, at the end of uh, 2018, it, it was interesting because, like you say, the, the, the Honda engine at that point was unproven. And I remember because they, they had that very unique situation where they're able to put those Honda engines into the, uh, the the Toro Rosos and basically a try before you buy for that one year, which I thought, uh, you know, this would only happen in Formula One, one of these sort of oddities, these quirks of the sport. But uh, th- so they do exactly what they were getting. And I remember that the at, at the at the time, Honda were saying that, you know, what you're going to get is going to be no worse than what you're going to get with the with the the, the Renault power units. And that first year was basically they were on a par results wise. And then, you know, they kind of threw everything into it. And it's it's been incredible. I'm pretty sure 2015 Fernando Alonso is just must be sitting here scratching his head wondering, you know, how did that happen? Because that can't be the same power unit program that was putting those engines in the back of our cars when uh, when I was at uh, McLaren. But but uh, it's interesting how things uh, change and they can change uh, fairly quickly in, in Formula One. Anyways, I want to take another quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit now, uh, you know, in, in the vein, in the spirit of Oscar Piastri and, you know, find out uh, who might be the next up and comer to come out of uh, um, Australia when it comes to Formula One or, or maybe some other series. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So please don't go away. We will be right back. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Mark Daly and Stuart Bell here for one more segment, talking all things Australia, all things Formula One. Talked, obviously, quite a bit about Oscar Piastri and Danny Ricardo and what we've seen from those two drivers over the course of the season. And um, earlier I was saying that uh, that, that we've seen some fantastic uh, Formula One drivers come out of Australia, world champions like Jack Brabham and Alan Jones, Mark Webber, of course, Daniel Ricardo and Oscar Piastri are the latest uh, two. But uh, let's let's broaden the scope a little bit. Uh, who else is out there in in the junior formulas? Who's who's not getting the press now that we should maybe keep an eye on to say, well, you know, we've been watching this fellow uh, before, uh, you know, <laughs> before he made it big. Who's who's the next potential superstar or prospect that we could see kind of percolate up uh, through the uh, the other formula? Well, I mean, the next one in in line is uh, Jack Dern, uh, son of. Five-time uh, 500cc uh, world champion Mick. He's he's currently uh, fourth in the standings in F2. 
uh, one feature races in Hungary and uh, and Belgium. Uh, so he certainly got plenty of momentum going into the into the final uh, three races at Zandvoort, um, Monza, and and uh, and Abu Dhabi. Um, he's a, he's a lovely guy. Uh, he's obviously got a pedigree in racing. He's yeah, he's, he's part of racing royalty with his father. I'll see. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I you know, and he's part of the Alpine uh, Academy. So uh, he's got the wherewithal. Whether he'll get a seat uh, next year is it? You know, we'll see what happens. But um, but I think you know, uh, and beyond that, in F three, we've got Hugh Barter. Uh, who is who is it's it's his first year in F3 this year, uh, and he's performing well. He's been in the points, um, and yeah, those those are the two real sort of uh, prospects. But certainly Jack Dillon is the is the first one in line, um, and we'll see we'll see whether he gets um, yeah a run uh, in in practice in the second half of the year. It is interesting, too, because when I look at guys like Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris, I still kind of consider them the, the new kids on the block, but they're, they're, they're not really. They've all been in the sport. I mean, Max has been in the top level for, for quite a while, a while compared to the rest. But uh, it, it's, it, you know, there's this next class of the next generation coming up. And I, I just uh, get excited when I think about, you know, some names and who potentially could, uh, could come up because, you know, when, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, very much follow the elite level cycling and it seems when it comes to like the grand tours like the tour de france it seems like grand tour winners especially for the tour de france they seem to be getting younger and younger all the time you look at Tadej Pogacar; he's 23 years old he's already a two-time uh, winner of the tour de france and he always seems to take the you know the yellow well, he has won it last two years but uh you know he's won uh, twice and then also won the, the the white jersey for the best uh under 23 rider like oh my gosh you know this where, where does the, the the talent just in sport in general seems to be getting younger and younger all the time it just uh, and, and in formula one we're seeing it as well that it, it seems like drivers are coming in and it, it, it almost seems like i wouldn't say that the whole idea of apprenticeship has been scrapped but it's just amazing when you see how quickly these young drivers are coming into the sport and and as we were talking about like um oscar piastri is just a you know 12 races in he's he, he's very much proven himself as a very good and very capable formula one driver it's just like well that was a very quick apprenticeship so it yeah. uh, it's exciting to look at the, the the future well i think you know now nowadays karting is just so much more competitive and you know people are putting it all in right from the start um and you have to to to, to make it up the 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 standings now it's not like you know, and it's hard to get a junior category drive now. You know, there's so much more demand for it. There's a lot more hot prospects out there, and and uh, and teams can now be selective about who they choose. Um, if you're not with an F1 team, you know, in an early stage, it's very difficult to move through. But even even the 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 the, uh, the junior category teams can pick and choose who they like, rather than having to, you know, uh, work out where their budget's coming from and selling to the richest. You know, it really is about having the pedigree, and they want they the, the strength and depth is is what's coming through the categories. Um, I mean, Barter, Hugh Barter, and F3, who I just mentioned, I mean, he dominated. You know, he didn't win the title in uh, in French F4, but he dominated. Uh, I think it was in his first season and he's moved up to f3 uh and so yeah each of these you know it just it, it is it is ultra competitive now um and obviously motorsport has always been you know uh, certainly the upper echelon is competitive but it, it's even more so now because you know it, people are having to put in a hundred thousand dollars at least to, to go karting now competitively and it's wow. so you know you have to be competitive committed and you know it costs Upwards of, of uh, six six million dollars at least to go from uh, you know karting up through to, to F two uh, six to eight million US you know so that's it's not cheap and so you need to have the backing you need to have <laughs> yep. the talent you need to have the management you need to have the know how and you need to be you know the complete package to keep moving otherwise it's a waste of money and and uh, and time. What is, um, well, I, I don't know if uh, there is a defined sort of development track or pipeline, but is, is there any sort of like common um, thread or any sort of common pathway for young drivers um, in, in Australia that they're getting to these these 
you know, upper echelons, like, you know, F3, F2, you know, guys like doing like Piastri, et cetera. What is, is there even a typical pathway or is it uh, just, are they just kind of picking their way through where the opportunities present themselves? I mean, you can start karting in Australia, but really for Australians, we're, we're, we're you know, it's a cosmopolitan. Melbourne and Sydney and, and Brisbane, are, you know, capitals are quite cosmopolitan. But to, to start your career, you need to move to Europe. Uh, you know, that there's no doubt about that. And the FIA certainly uh, helped uh, simplify the structure, you know, going from, you know, national F4 series into the F3 and F2 and both F3 and F2 on the on the F1 undercard. So you're, you're getting the promotion, you're getting the eyeballs uh, on the world stage and as well as the, the, the closeness with the F1 teams. But um yeah, for Australia, it's really always a bit about leaving the country and getting getting to Europe as quick quick as possible, and that's exactly what Daniel Ricciardo did, um, and as did Oscar Piastri. So, um, and it's exactly the same thing, for, you know, people from Canada and America. You know, it, it, obviously you've got series over there, but um, the, the the competitive fields you want to be measured against the best, and that's why. You know, it's great for Piastri to be at McLaren with, with Lando Norris. You know, Lando is a supreme talent. He won junior categories all the way through his, his career. He was an absolute gun, and he mm-hmm. has proved himself time and time again in Formula 1. And so for Piastri to be up against Lando Norris, you know, as I said, a sublime talent, super quick. Uh, it's great for him. But that's what you want is competitive fields all the way through so that when People look back and see you won the title. Well, you won it against the best. And, uh, you know, Formula One is about proving yourself against the best of the best. Exactly. And I'll even throw uh, Sergio Perez into that uh, into that list as well, because I heard, um, I remember reading something from, from Checo saying basically the exact same thing, that if, he, you know, this is what he wanted to do, and he knew that uh, in order to pursue it, that he had to, you know, go and move to Europe and pursue opportunities there. So it's, it's, it's not a... Um, you know, unique to any one area. I think if you're outside of the that that European sphere and you want to make it and and compete against the best, like you say, Stuart, then you know, in Europe is where you have to have to be. Okay, so we're as we start to um, before we turn off the lights and, and and go home for the day, figuratively speaking, of course, there was a couple more things I wanted to talk to you about, and the big one, uh, of course, uh, and uh, you're you're you live in uh, Melbourne, and the big news that came out was you know quite a while ago now is that the Australian Grand Prix will be continued to be hosted at Albert Park in Melbourne until 2037. So, first of all, I'm going to ask you, is that the, the, the best location to have the Australian Grand Prix? Because I know that there was, um, you know, e- even up here in the Northern Hemisphere, we, they were through the, 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 the news cycle, there were some bits and pieces that would kind of like bubble up to the surface that, you know, that Adelaide might want to try and get the race back there. I think even Sydney was making some noise about that, but I wasn't sure how feasible, you know, any of, you know, any of these other potential host cities may be. So, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more because that is an awfully long term 15 years even by formula one standards is uh, extraordinarily long it is it is but i think australia does a good job uh in in promoting and and uh putting on a race uh it's a fantastic spot you know it's right on uh port phillip bay here uh you know beautiful parklands it's you know in, in the end of our summer so it's not too hot and, you know, when the helicopter shot comes up over, over Port Phillip Bay to, to look over the Albert Park circuit, really, it is a, a picture-perfect uh, event. So it is gorgeous. And, and obviously there's been uh, Adelaide forever laments losing the race to, to Melbourne. And when you go to Adelaide, it is a beautiful spot in the middle of the city. Uh, Adelaide embraces its events like no other. It's like a big country town. Uh, and so I can understand their their pain in, in losing the race. Sydney, uh, they would love to have it. They love events as well. But it would have to be over the Sydney Harbour Bridge and, you know, around the harbour, which whether that's feasible or not, I'm not sure. But for now, I mean, there's always been noise complaints in Melbourne about the race. 
um, mm. back to the even back to the fifties. So there's always going to be people complaining about racing, and that's just that's just what it is. That's that's an understandable thing. But you know, it's it's here to stay until 2037. That allows the the Grand Prix Corporation to make investments and put on a, a better show. And you know. It was it was a record crowd this year, which is fantastic. And, and not only was it a record crowd this year, but but there were, you know, I've I've been to going to that event since it, since it began, and it's been very male dominated uh, demographic. And I and I, what made me so happy was to see women, you know, groups of girls and women walking around enjoying the race. And I it just made my my heart happy to see people of both sexes, all ages, enjoying Formula One. And I just thought, what a change has happened to this sport. It's, you know, people are enjoying it. And, you know, it just shows there's a real healthy future. Uh, and, you know, in, in Australia, which is far away from the rest of the world, but, you know, it's good to see people loving Formula One. And as long as that continues, I, I, I assume we'll have the race here because F1 loves, loves coming here. And uh, and we, we host it well. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, there's a bit of a funny story before I get to the next uh, topic I wanted to ask you. Several years ago now, <clears throat> pardon me, a friend of my wife was uh, on a trip to, uh, to, to Australia and she made a stop in Melbourne for a number of days. She's not a Formula One fan. She wasn't then, wasn't now, despite the, the, the global surge in interest that we've seen over the past uh, several years. And anyway, so she knew that, um, you know, my wife has been, you know, that's the one thing I that we've known each other almost 20 years now. And right from the beginning, that was one of the things we, we kind of like uh, we, we had in common. We were both Formula One fans. Anyways, um, she got a message from her friend who was in Melbourne. She said, oh, you like that Formula One thing? I think there's a race going on this week weekend and so the the, the uh, so the thing was that uh, she said well is there anything i can bring back so the the one thing that i had to bring back for me i said well you're at the australian grand prix you know i'd love it if you could bring me back a daniel ricardo hat bonus marks if you can get it autographed by dan you know <laughs> not expected so that was a bit of a fun fun, fun tie in but the the one thing i did want to ask you about uh, Stu, is that uh, over the past several years we've seen I don't want to say a phenomenon, that's not the, the correct word, but this trend at, at circuits around the globe where that, that tracks have been reprofiled, redesigned. If you look at, uh, say, Barcelona, they've basically restored the circuit to its original configuration. And uh, we've seen the same at, uh, at Albert Park. I think they, they did that, uh, was it was in time for this year, but it's been done recently. I just wanted awesome. to get uh, yeah. your, your, um, your, your thoughts on that because... I feel now that they've they've made these changes to the circuit. I found that uh, it it has a better rhythm when the cars are going around. It just it has. Um, I know this doesn't sound very scientific, but it feels right when I see the cars running around Albert Park now. I, the, the changes that they've made, I think uh, you know, from my perspective, I feel like they've been successful. I think so. There's been more overtaking. You're right. The rhythm is 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 there. Uh, you know, I went there when when the construction was taking on. We had a behind the scenes tour of of all the the reprofiling of the corners. And the thing that that I left leaving that that sort of excursion was that they've kept the character of of the track. They didn't just you know throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And I think that's what Formula One's doing across the world. They're trying, you know, they've got their own team, uh, their own engineering team in terms of knowing, you know how to get, you know, to modify the tracks to get the best uh, racing there. And that's really what, they, what they're trying to do. You know, they're not just taking the sport to a track and hoping for the best. They're actually actively looking at, at tracks, what, you know, and, and working that into their deals in terms of, okay, well, you know, if you want an extra, an extra X amount of years, well, you'll need to make changes to this in this corner. Um, and they're doing that across the board, across not just circuit modifications, but all areas to try to get better racing. But, you know, they can do that. But, uh, you know, Verstappen is winning everything at the moment. And so <laughs> to keep this record, you know, record crowds, you know, it can very easily stop. And uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, the other teams have to do a better job because, you know, there's all this momentum in the sport, popularity, you know, there's an excitement, a vibrance in, in what's going on in the sport. But um, we need Ferrari and uh, and Mercedes and Aston Martin and McLaren, uh, you know, to, to really take on the challenge to, to, um, to Red Bull. Otherwise, 
you know, we're not going to have a competition. That's that's what F1 has to put on, a race. And we can talk all day about it. Well, there was passing through the field and, you know, there was there we, we saw good racing. We did see good racing in Belgium, you know, through the field, but we want to see it up front. And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's what the sport has to concentrate on. The teams have to concentrate on uh, in g- getting, you know, a car that can challenge Red Bull next year. Yeah, and it's uh, it's good that you actually bring that up because you brought it right to the the very last point I wanted to touch on, and I, I was thinking when I was putting uh, this list of topics together that uh, that I wanted to talk to you about, and I thought, well, when I came to this one, and when it comes to predictions for the rest of the season, I was going to add a little bit of a twist and say wrong answers only. But then I thought, well, if we say we see a resurgent Mercedes or Ferrari, etc., it might give people false hope that we're actually being serious because you know. Unless something drastic happens, it doesn't really seem like. I mean, Max is just driving too good. I mean, he's driving at um, at at such a high level, and I mean, I mean, he literally has not put a wheel wrong in what two years, <laughs> three years now. I mean, I mean, the, the 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 caliber of driving we've seen from Max Verstappen is absolutely incredible. Adrian Newey and his team continue to deliver on designing and building an incredible race car. And the, the the Honda power unit is just uh, is just delivering reliable, incredible amounts of horsepower. And that's one of the questions that we've had is just like, has Max really had to uncork the power that he has at his uh, at his disposal? Because, you know, I mean, you have a talented driver like Max. Has, has he really needed to? you know, use all the bells and whistles. But uh, anyways, I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I'd, I'd love to hear what, uh, you know, <laughs> what you expect or hope to see, you know, for the remainder of the year, Stu. I mean, I'd like to see, I mean, Mercedes saw the the bouncing, a number of teams saw bouncing return to Belgium. And uh, so that we think that's quite specific. Uh, I'd like to see Mercedes, you know, mount, you know, uh, or at least find a way through for their development path to be able to get at least a little bit closer and have a win if if uh, if Red Bull falters in any way. Ferrari, obviously their inconsistency with their race paces is a huge thing. They've obviously got a lot of analysis they're going to do over the break, but you know they can't they can't make the same rookie errors and mistakes that they've been making. Uh, but yeah, I'd I'd love to see. I'd love to see Aston Martin come back. Hopefully, these updates mm-hmm. in Zandvoort uh, allow Alonso to move move forward, uh, and and Lance Stroll. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think if we could see Aston Martin and and Mercedes uh, move forward, Alpine, I think you know it has detonated and will move down the order um, potentially uh, with with their technical boss gone and their their sporting director gone and their team boss gone i think that's that's going to take some serious time to to re recalibrate but uh, yeah i, I would lo- I, I i hope that mclaren can can continue to to you know fight at the, nip at the heels of red bull and we see a more sustained challenge from mercedes and aston martin yeah, very good. And and just briefly, just to, talking about Mercedes, they obviously had issues with the W13 last year, the zero side pod concept. Were you surprised that they brought it back into the design of the W14 this year? Because I found it very... I found it very strange that, you know, the the language and just the whole attitude about it, especially Ototo saying that, well, we're going to go with it. This is what we've decided to do. And we have basically a plan B in, in, in our back pocket, should it not work out? Because, I mean, they, they obviously had great hopes for this uh, design that theoretically that this uh, that they were on to something that would was, you know, next level stuff but when it came to actually building a physical car and putting it onto the track that you know in in reality there there were struggles there that were have will prove very difficult to, to to overcome but were you surprised like i was that they persisted with this development track for so long before they decided to go to a this sort of in-between situation that we have now this plan b a little bit, but I think you know, with with these new regulations, you know, all all these different designs are going to converge at some point. But I think Mercedes felt like, you know, if you if you copy or 
be inspired by a certain design, you really can only be as good as that design, really. And so I think they felt they'd solved the issues that they'd that they'd had with the W13, and they could make best use of that zero pod concept coming into this year. But obviously, when they got to Bahrain, they had a rude shock. And the best thing is that they they weren't stubborn. They said it's time to redesign. So that's what they've done, and really they're they're relearning their new concept and that's what's what, what's taking time they've had to put development uh into solving issues rather than pure performance and that's what they've said uh, recently is they're going to put all of their their resources behind performance now rather than solving technical issues so um yeah i wasn't i wasn't surprised but you know the fact that they didn't they didn't hesitate in 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 recognizing the mistake in bahrain they're now on a better, a different development path with more, you know, a much bigger ladder that they can potentially take it forward and challenge Red Bull with is a good thing. So, um, you know, you've got to be humble in F1. You can't work with an ego uh, because you'll be passed in the blink of an eye. Yeah, and compared to like previous eras in Formula One with the cost cap now in place, you can't throw piles of money at a problem and expect to, you know, spend your way out of a hole and like uh, you, you could in the past. I mean, it's a it's a very new world that uh, that we're, we're we're living in when it comes to to things like that. But uh, Stuart, thank you so much uh, for for dropping by. It's been great to to talk to you again and reconnect after you know the the, the last time we spoke, which I think was uh, you know spring of last year. So it's uh, definitely been uh, overdue but uh, before we go if you could just uh, remind everyone where they can uh, follow you and stay up to date with everything that you're doing and uh, what's uh, going on at the inside line well the inside line is a weekly uh, tv show on formula one and so you can follow follow us on unbeaten f1 on facebook twitter and instagram and personally if you want to follow me it's Stuart bell f1 on uh, on twitter and instagram as well but uh, appreciate your support and thanks for having me on it's been a pleasure. And uh, everyone, thank you for uh, joining myself and uh, Stuart uh, this afternoon. And if you want to stay in touch with us, uh, please give us a follow on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. That is a wrap. Thank you for listening. Mark and I will be back in a couple of days with our weekly news show. So have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.